Hi folks, good to see you. Welcome to church. Give me a hi. Let me extend a welcome as well. Good to have you here tonight. If you're joining us for the first time, warm welcome to you. If this is your umpteenth time, warm welcome to you. It's great to have you here. Tons of stuff happening through the week. There are home groups in various locations around the city. And that really is an extension of church. It's a great place to uh, grow in your faith, build friendships, and uh, to take forward, really, your Christian faith. So I encourage you, get to a home group near you if you can. I believe God's with us tonight. We're going to take, a, in a moment or two, we're going to turn to the Bible. Uh, but I believe tonight God wants to fill people with His Holy Spirit. I believe God wants to do works, deep works in people's life. Let's pray and ask God just to have His way among us. Father, thank you that you're here. Thank you, God, that you love us with an eternal love. Tonight, God, as we take time just to look at an amazing bit of the Bible, I pray that you would speak to us, that you'd reveal yourself to us, that you would touch lives, that those who are far from you tonight would come close to you, that, God, those who are struggling with different things, you'd bring your answers to them. I pray, God, that those who are desperate for more of you would experience more of you tonight. Pray for those who are sick, that miracles would happen in their bodies. So come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We're uh, in the parables of Jesus, and tonight we're going to be looking at one that's particularly focusing on forgiveness. This is pretty appropriate, considering this is 9-11, 10 years on. Forgiveness has become a big theme in the last 10 years. People have struggled with the, the atrocities that have taken place and the subsequent wars around the world. But right down into a personal level, you guys, we struggle with offenses that people cause us. And we struggle with forgiveness issues. And the parable we're looking at tonight is all about the power of forgiveness in our lives. Let me start by reading you a letter from a guy called John to his ex-fiancee. My dearest Susan, sweetie of my heart, I've been so desolate ever since I broke off our engagement. Simply devastated. What was I thinking? Would you please consider coming back to me? You hold a place in my heart that no other woman could fill. I could never find a woman quite like you. I need you so much. Won't you forgive me? And just let's give this another try. I love you so much. Yours always and truly, John. P.S. Congratulations on winning the National Lottery this week. (laughs) Forgiveness with no strings attached is pretty rare. But that's what this parable is about. Jesus is, we're now in uh, Matthew chapter 18. And uh, Jesus is answering a question that one of his disciples, Peter, asked him. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, and he goes on and tells a story, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When beginning to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, the master ordered that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant, same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. And he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, 
pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. The master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debts because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your servant, your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Pretty hard-hitting parable. Speaking to us strongly about the importance of forgiveness and about God's forgiveness towards us. The parable comes on the back of a question. Peter asks Jesus a question. As we said in the verse 21 and 22, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, Peter thought, to be honest, he, was, he thought he was being generous. Seven times. He thought, Jesus will be well impressed with my graciousness. Because in that day and age, the rabbis taught that you should only forgive people three times. Here's a quote from a rabbi, Rabbi Joseph ben Yaodai, I think. If a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. If he commits an offense twice, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they forgive him. But the rabbi says, the fourth time, they do not forgive. That was one of many quotations I could have chosen from, from rabbis at the time of Jesus speaking about forgiveness. And they thought three times was generous. So Peter coming and saying to Jesus, should I forgive him seven times? Jesus wasn't that impressed. Although Peter thought he was doing pretty well. Jesus' answer was, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490. Now, what does it mean? Does it mean that, all right, someone sins and they sin 490 times and then one more, just one more, and I'm going to take you out. Is that what he means? I mean, if that was the case, I mean, Graham's on staff with me. Now, I'm telling you, he, he does his 490 by lunchtime. I tell you, he meets his quota by lunchtime. So if 490 was the case, we'd all be scuppered. I don't think Jesus wants us to take the 490 literally and we kind of tally them off. I don't think that's the point he's making because he goes on and tells us a parable to really reinforce the point he's making. The point he's making is who's counting? The point he's making is you're asking me about how many times I should forgive another human being. But what Jesus does is he gives it perspective and he says, let me tell you about the scale to which God forgives you. And then having seen that, Let's look at how many times you should forgive another human being. Jesus tells a parable, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven will be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. In this parable, we see God. And in this parable, we see us. Who's God in this parable? God's the, he's the king. Three of you got it. Great. Who's God in the parable? Just copy what they said. God's the He's the king. And who are we in the parable? We are the, we're the servants. And Jesus here starts the parable telling us that there is a king in heaven who has all authority over every aspect of our lives. And to him we will give an account. 
So we're all caught up with our interpersonal quibbles and who, did, who was right and who was wrong and how many times should I forgive and all that kind of interpersonal human level stuff. And Jesus takes us off this sphere and he gets us onto this sphere and he says, one day you're going to stand before a king and he has all authority over your entire life and you will give an account to him. He's trying to get us to have a different perspective. And then he goes on in verse 23 and he talks to us about this insurmountable debt. He says, therefore the kingdom of heaven will be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. 10,000 talents. That's old money. We can't relate to that. We don't, that's not our currency. In those days, talent was a way of measuring gold or silver. A talent was a measure of weight. A talent was 34.3 kilograms. Therefore, 10,000 talents was 343,000 kilograms. Or in ton, that is in UK tons, that was 340 UK tons of gold. That is an awful lot of gold. I mean, you should be more impressed than that. Say, ooh. That was a serious amount of gold. To put it in perspective, uh, the Queen of Sheba, when she in the Old Testament came to visit Solomon, the Queen of Sheba wanted to give him an, an expensive gift. And she gave him 120 talents of gold. You find that in 1 Kings 10. King Solomon himself, who at that time was probably the wealthiest man on planet Earth about 1000 BC. And in 1 Kings 10, you find recorded that his annual income was 666 talents of gold a year. That being the case, it would take King Solomon 15 years of his income to clear this kind of scale debt, 10,000 talents. The regions around where Jesus was teaching at that time, Judea and Samaria each brought in a total annual revenue of 600 talents, the whole region. That was the revenue. The region of Galilee brought in a, an entire revenue of 300 talents a year. So we understand this servant's debt is in 10,000 talents, and yet an entire region's revenue was three to 600 talents. This was a colossal debt that was owed. The Greek word that was used for the for 10,000, it's interesting as we look at the original Greek language, 10,000 is the Greek words muriai, which means 10,000 or innumerable amounts. It is interestingly in the ancient Greek language, it is the highest numeration word. There's no word for 100,000 in the Greek, ancient Greek language. There's no word in the ancient Greek language for a million. The highest numeration that was available to Jesus to use to describe this man's debt was ten thousands, muriai, from which we get the, Greek, the word we use, myriads. We get our word from that. It's describing something so huge. It's, it's, it's like if we were to describe it today, we would, we would use a word to describe the scale of the money and the equivalent word. We would, we would say like, like it's one that my, my little kids will, will kind of try and compete with each other so you can come up with the biggest number. And Michael would say, a gazillion, billion, willion, zillion, dillion. Now that's what Jesus was doing, but he did it slightly cooler. <laughs> so this is a huge scale debt. 
So what's the message? What's the point? What Jesus is illustrating here is here is a servant with a huge debt to a king. This is a human being to God. This is a human to God scale debt. And what it's referring to is the scale of the debt we owe due to our sin. Our sin, our corruptness, our perversions, our messed upness, our waywardness, our walking without God, our living like he's not there or blaming him when it wasn't him or not thanking him when we should live with gratitude. All that stuff, and not just the stuff we do, but also stuff we haven't done. All that amounts to a colossal scale of debt we owe to God. Just illustrated by the 10,000 talents. It was an insurmountable debt. It's an impossible debt. The psalmist in Psalm 130 verse 3 says, If you, Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In other words, God, if you start counting our sins... No one would have a chance because the scale of them. Jeremy Taylor uh, put it this way. He said that no sin is small. It is a sin against an infinite God and may have consequences immeasurable. No grain of sand is small in the mechanism of a watch. So this was an insurmountable debt and it refers to the scale of our sin before God. Now what's the man's reaction to this king's pronouncement you know you're gonna have to be sold you and your family and everything he pleads for mercy and then this is what he says have patience with me i will pay you everything now the man is utterly deluded the reality is he thinks he's got a hope of clearing the debt he has no hope of clearing this debt it would take solomon the wealthiest man on the earth at that time 15 years of salary to clear that scale debt. And what chance does a servant have? He's saying, be patient with me. Because he thinks all he needs is time and a bit of effort. And then he's going to clear the debt. And that's what religious people do. We think our sin is so big before God's. I'll just become better. I'll just do more good stuff. And we come up with all these kind of crazy things like penance. That we feel like we've got to kind of scourge ourselves and put ourselves through things in order to appease God and to clear this debt. That's as ludicrous as a man, like a servant, trying to clear that scale of debt. That's how ludicrous penance and religiousness is. We come up with things like purgatory that says, well, if we haven't been good enough to make it into heaven, then we suffer for a bit in purgatory to clean the debt away and then we'll make it. That's religious rubbish. And it's not in the Bible. And it's like a man, it's like a servant saying, I can clear the 10,000 talent debt. That's how ludicrous it is. But then we go on in the parable and we see this beautiful point where the cancellation of debt takes place. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. God didn't take him up on the offer of, give me time and effort and I'll pay it back. God didn't take him up on that. He knew that was an impossible. So God just gave the debt. Just like that. Cleared the debt. I came across the story of Simon Wiesenthal, uh, who was a Jew during the Second World War Holocaust. He lost 89 of his Jewish relatives during the Holocaust. And following on from the war, he became one of the world's most famous Nazi hunters, trying to bring people to account for their actions during the Holocaust. 
He tells in his book, The Sunflower, of a time when he was in the Mauthausen concentration camp in Poland. He talks about how uh, he was living in horrendous conditions and every day they were given tasks to carry out. And one particular day, he was commanded to go and clear out the garbage from an old barn that was in the compounds. And this barn had been converted into a medical facility where they were treating injured SS officers. So he spent the day in this place clearing out the rubbish, sweeping the floors, cleaning and tidying. At the end of the day, the nur- our nurse came to him and said, can you come with me to see an officer? So Simon Wiesenthal was taken to this particular officer and he walked into a room and there was a young man laid out on a bed, bandaged head to foot. The man had obviously experienced a horrendous burn to his whole body. And you could see the pus coming through his bandages and the blood was everywhere. And this man was on his way out. When the man heard Simon Wiesenthal enter the room, the man grabbed Simon Wiesenthal's hands and said, you must help me. Are you a Jew? And Simon Wiesenthal said, yes. And he said, I need forgiveness. I need someone who is a Jew on behalf of your nation to offer me forgiveness for the horrendous acts I have committed against your people. And then he proceeded to tell Simon Wiesenthal about his activities in the SS. He talked about how he'd grown up in a Catholic family. He had faith in God. But it wasn't long after entering the Hitler youth that that faith started to diminish. And he started becoming a killer, killing Jews at, at, at whim. One point he, he, he rounded up with his men 300 Jews and forced them to enter a three-story building which they went, proceeded to set on fire. And the SS officers surrounded the building and were waiting for people to jump out windows or try and escape and they would mow them down with the machine guns. He says how night after night in his anguish, he himself has now been burned and he's lying here, he's dying and every night he can't sleep and all he can hear is the sound of those cries of those Jewish people that he was responsible for murdering. And he said, I can't die with this guilt. I need someone who's a Jew to offer me forgiveness on behalf of your nation. Simon Wiesenthal stood and thought. He looked out of the window at the shining sunshine in the courtyard. He was thinking, what do I do here? And then in a moment, he tugged his hand out of the SS officer's hand. And he said not a word and walked out the room. 20 years later, he writes The Sunflower. This book describing his time in the concentration camp and his life. And he talks about this event and he ends the book with the question, did I do the right thing? What would you do? In response to that, 32 Jewish academics wrote their response to Simon Wiesenthal's question. Six of them said, we don't think you did do the right thing. We think you should have offered the man mercy. Most of them said, you did the right thing. They used arguments like, you know, it would be wrong for a man who's committed horrendous monstrosities against other human beings at death's door be offered just a quick fix forgiveness like it meant nothing. They also said, it'd be wrong for you on behalf of our nation to offer forgiveness to a man because he wasn't committing crimes against you. He's committed crimes against others. How can you forgive on their behalf? One man even went as far to say as, let the SS trooper go to hell. Mercy, it's a big issue. So what about your sins? What about my sins? What about the hurts and crimes we've committed against others? Is it the case that in order for us to be forgiven, we've somehow got to find everyone we've hurt 
and go to each person and ask them, can you forgive me? Can you forgive me? And go around them all. We wouldn't be able to go around them all because we don't know who we've hurt. Some of them we know fine well who we've hurt. Other people, we have no idea, but they've been hurt and we didn't even know it. Other times we've caused hurt to people, not because of the things we've done, but because of the things we didn't do. We should have been there for them and we weren't. We saw their needs and they didn't know maybe we noticed, but we should have stepped in and we hadn't. And God will hold us to account for all these things. So how can we deal with our sins? How can we get mercy? I love in the Old Testament, King David. King David was a phenomenal man, but he made a massive mistake in a kind of midlife crisis moment. In response to the horrendous sins he committed, he just went able. What he did was he, he saw a woman. He wanted to have sex with her. And she was a married woman. So he went ahead and did it anyway. She fell pregnant. In order to cover up the whole thing, he ends up going as far as murdering her husband, Uriah. David was a good guy. And yet he goes AWOL and does this crazy stuff. He commits adultery and he commits murder. He realizes how horrendous his sin has been. He kind of wakes up from his stupor and and he prays. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance. And listen to what he says in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sins and done what is evil in your sight. Now you could say, well, no, David, you sinned against Bathsheba and you sinned against Uriah. You sinned against those people. But David has an understanding, and we have to have this understanding, that even if you've sinned against another human being, you've ultimately sinned against God. And here's the amazing thing, is if God acquits you, then even if a human being refuses to forgive you, you are acquitted. Now it might be that even if God acquits you and forgives you, it might be that you still have consequence for your action that you must deal with and you just need to take that in the chin. But if God acquits you, eternally speaking, you are acquitted. That's amazing. God kind of got David's attention when he was sinning and he's doing these crazy things. God sent a man called Nathan. He was a prophet. And Nathan came to David and Nathan challenged David on his behavior. And when that challenge came, it's like the, his eyes were open and David suddenly realized, what on earth have I done? And listen to the correspondence that goes on between Nathan and David. Second Samuel twelve thirteen, And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. Now that's too easy. You've committed murder. You've committed adultery. You've just been told you're out of line. All you have said, David, is, I've sinned against the Lord. And then the reply instantly comes back, and the Lord has taken away your sin. That's too easy. Surely he must suffer a bit. How can God just acquit someone? Just that easy. It's just like a man who came before a king with a 10,000 talent debt, and the king just says, I have mercy on you. But you need to know that God, when he does that, he's not being unjust. Gordon Keddy put it this way. God's mercy is never given at the expense of his justice. How is this possible that God in heaven can acquit a sinner? Here's how it's possible. Let me tell you a story about a famous Russian general. His son took on a garrison of troops in a small town in Russia. 
His son had this famous dad and, and he was so excited to have this responsibility. He was also excited that he had a lot of money now. He had a salary and he had money at his disposal. On the side, secretly, he had a gambling addiction. And it wasn't long before he, he spent his entire income on gambling. And after he ran out of his own salary, he started using military money for gambling. He amassed such colossal debts, he knew he was in trouble. One day he heard that there was going to be an audit. He panicked. He went to his room. He had in front of him the list of all his debts outstanding. And he sat there drinking strong spirits, trying to get himself drunk enough. And there was his revolver out of his desk. He was getting ready to shoot himself. As he sat there and read over and read over the list of debts, he got a pen and wrote across it, who can pay such a debt? And he continued drinking and drinking and drinking until he wanted to get to the place where he had enough courage to end his life. But he kept drinking so much, he fell asleep. And he fell asleep on his desk. Late that night, Nicholas I was passing through that town. And he thought, I'm going to visit my good friend's son who's looking after the garrison. And he went to find him in the garrison and he walked into his office. And there's the son, drunken, sleeping, with a revolver at his hands. And there was this sheet of paper with the debts that he'd accrued. And the writing on it, who can pay such a debt? And Nicholas picked up the pen and wrote... Nicholas the first can. And I believe that's what God did for us. You see, God in heaven, the creator of all things, sinless, perfect, pure and holy, what he did in Jesus Christ was this. He entered into humanity. He entered into human history. And Jesus came for the purpose of dying on a cross as a substitute for you and me. All those crimes, that colossal insurmountable debt that we have accrued before God was all placed on him. Our sin, our brokenness, everything that's wrong about us was placed on Jesus. And he died as our substitute. So justice was done. The price was paid. Just as in this parable, when the king released the man from his debt, the reality is the king absorbed the debt. And that's what took place in the cross. Jesus absorbed the debt. You know, I find it significant that Jesus is telling this parable to Peter. Peter was the one who asked him the question that provoked the parable. If you look back at Peter's conversion, you see a strong correlation between Peter's conversion and the parable. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8 to 10, it says, when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet. What did he saw? He saw a miracle. Jesus had given a miraculous catch of fish. Peter suddenly realized he was in the presence not just of a man, but of God in the flesh. This is the king. And here Peter, like the servant, falls before the king. And he says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. I have an insurmountable debt. For amazement had seized him and his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you'll catch men. So here's Peter. He suddenly realized this is the king. And he says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. And the king has mercy. He wipes away the debt, And he gives Peter a purpose for life. Peter had experienced mercy. It's interesting. From that point, it wasn't like he was the perfect man. You see, 
you experience God's mercy and God forgives you, it's not like all of a sudden you become perfect. Yeah? I mean, you know Sebastian. Yeah? We're not perfect. We have issues. And Peter was the same. God wiped the dead. But Peter went on and there before the crucifixion, Peter disowned the Christ. He said, I didn't know him. Peter had a propensity for chopping people's ears off. That wasn't good. Peter was in the book of Acts. He was downright racist towards non-Jewish people. And he had to be corrected for that. Peter had his issues. But he understood the mercy of God. The mercy of God is this. And he describes it in 1 Peter. Peter writing about Jesus said, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. He understood that Jesus, that king that I bowed before and said, have mercy on me. He cleared the debt. Because why? Because he died to consume that debt himself. He took upon himself the debt. He paid the price. He wiped it clean once for all. One man for all people. Once in one moment for all time. You see, when you come to Jesus, your past sins are eradicated. Your present sins are cleansed. And all your future sins are covered even before you commit them. That does not give us the excuse to go commit them. That gives us the excuse to live grateful and live better. That's what Jesus does for us. Don't cry. It's good news. (laughs) This is what Jesus does for us. And this is what Peter was so blown away by. Someone said, we owe a debt that no one could pay. And he paid the debt that he did not owe. Jesus gives us this parable, the first half of the parable that we've just covered there, actually is laying a foundation for us in order to answer the second half of the question. You see, Peter's question was, how often should I forgive a fellow human being? And Jesus answers that question by first pointing out the scale of debt that God has already forgiven you. So with that in mind, how therefore should we treat people? Verse 28, the same servant went out, having been forgiven all that debt, He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Let me read you a statement. Everything that you or I do in the way that we relate to human beings reveals how you relate to God. The way you act with another human being tells us what your theology is. Tells us how much have you grasped of God's mercy. It's interesting, immediately, straight after being forgiven a 10,000 talent debt, immediately, I don't know what you'd have done immediately after being relieved of that scale of debt, Probably, I, I, I hope, I would have gone out there saying, Yay! Gratefulness would be overwhelming my heart. I'd be so glad, right? I wouldn't be thinking, where's the guy who owes me money? I wouldn't be thinking that, hopefully. And yet, this is the thing the guy's thinking. In fact, should it not have been the case that having been cleared all that debt, should he not have been leaving the king's presence and thinking, I need to find someone else who owes me money and do the same for them. Because I don't need their money anymore. My debt's cleared. Surely that should have been what's going on in his soul. But instead, immediately he goes and finds another servant who owes him money. Dr. James Roscup said this, 
When a man lives without mercy to others in God's world, he simply shows off the fact that he himself has never responded aright to the immeasurable mercy of God. This is a different type of debt. In this parable, this time the servant owed the other servant 100 denarii. 100 denarii, a denarii was a day's wage. So 100 denarii was 100 days wages. I got that because what I did was I took the hundreds and multiplied by the day's wages and then it came to 100 days wages. That's just still away. You know, that was a pretty high scale debt. 100 days wages is a lot of money. But compared to the 10,000 talent debt, it was a drop in the ocean. Now, the 100 denarii debt represents the debt that human beings owe each other. The way that someone hurt you, that's how big a scale it is. The pain that you put on someone else, that's how big a scale that is. Compared to the scale of the sin before God, it's nothing. But it is nevertheless something. God didn't say one denarii, he said a hundred denarii. He wanted us to know that it is still pretty serious. And you and I know that. When someone has inflicted pain on us, it isn't nothing, it's something. And it is serious. So God's acknowledging that it is a hundred denarii. It's still a pretty big debt. But it's nothing compared to the scale of debt that God's forgiven us. It's interesting in this scenario. The same speech happens. The man says, have patience with me and I will pay you. That's virtually the same speech that the first servant made before the king. And the king forgave him. You would have thought that servant would have heard the same speech coming back at him. And he had a deja vu moment. I recognize those words. And last time I said those words, mercy was shown me. So surely, but there was no, it was a total disconnect. He showed no mercy to that man. You know, it's interesting when at the end of the parable, the king says, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The king wasn't even saying, listen, just give the guy a chance to pay it back. He wasn't saying that. The king was saying, clear the debt. Just as I cleared your debt, you need to clear someone else's debt. How hard do you find it to forgive another person? How hard do you find it? When it's 100 denarii, I mean, it's pretty heavy weight. What they did against you was tough. How hard do you find that to forgive? How hard do you find it to let people just go? Scot-free. When they hurt you, how hard do you find it just to say, okay, I forgive you, scot-free. I won't make you suffer for it. Done, forgiven. How hard do you find that? That's tough. We don't like the idea of just letting someone off the hook without making them suffer for what they did to us. And yet that's what God's calling us to do. Colossians 3 verses 12 to 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I lead a church here. I'm pastor of this church and I'm constantly amazed at the way believers will hold grudges against other people. They hold grudges and they're unwilling to be reconciled. 
they're unwilling just to let it go. They're holding on to it. And they allow bitterness to be in their souls. It blows me away. It blows me away. It blows me away because have you not understood the gospel? Have you not understood the scale of the debt that God forgave you? For free. scot free. You're just forgiven. At his own expense. It seriously makes me concerned about the condition of people's souls. It makes me ask, did you actually really get the gospel? Maybe you understood it in your head. Yeah, that God died for me and that's great. Maybe you got it here, but you didn't get it here. Maybe you really didn't get it. Maybe you think you're a Christian, but actually you're not saved. You have a mental understanding of what God did for you, but it didn't touch your soul. And you're evidencing that by the total lack of mercy you showed towards any other human being. You're refusing to forgive. And yet God's, when we're talking about a much bigger scale day, wiped it clear. How do you forgive? Here's four things. Number one, fully grasp God's forgiveness of you. Fully grasp. Think about it tons. Let the penny drop. Let it grip you. The scale of God's forgiveness for you. So what you do is you think about the crime that someone's committed against you. And you remind yourself, that's a 100 denarii's debt. That's a human-to-human debt. And then what you do is you stop rehearsing that over in your mind. And it is a big debt, but you've got to stop rehearsing it over in your mind. And what you've got to do instead is you've got to rehearse a different thing over in your mind. And you've got to rehearse over in your mind the 10,000 talent debt, the scale of that debt that God forgave you for. And you've got to think about that big And you've got to contemplate that. And you've got to be grateful for that. And the more you can understand that. And the more you can grasp that. And be grateful about that. The easier by the power of God. You're going to find it. To offer forgiveness to any human being. No matter how big the scale of debt. That they've committed against you. Fully grasp God's forgiveness of you. Number two. Don't wait to forgive. You know some, some people... They wait until they feel like forgiving. Do you know what? You're going to be waiting a long time. You might not feel like forgiving ever. Your emotions, if you're waiting for your emotions to say, okay, now I feel like I want to forgive them. You might be waiting for years. And in the meantime, you're going to be eaten up by bitterness. And that's going to damage you more than it damages them. Don't wait till you feel like you're forgiving. Also, here's another thing. Don't wait till they're asking for forgiveness. Don't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. Because they might never ask for forgiveness. They might never come and say, I did wrong. They might go through all their life in denial. And yet, you must forgive. You remember Jesus as he was hanging and dying on the cross? As he was hanging and dying on the cross, in front of him were the Roman, the the soldiers, and there was the Jewish authorities, and they weren't repenting for what they had just done to him. They weren't regretting for one moment the crucifixion that they just made, put, put him through. And yet, in that moment, Jesus prays, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus didn't wait for them to repent or ask forgiveness before offering forgiveness. So, don't wait to forgive. Thirdly, decide to forgive. You see, forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision. It's a decision that might be an emotionless decision. It might just be a decision based on a value you have. All right, you forgave me that much, God? Then okay, I will forgive. (sighs) You still feel it. And the emotions are still there. 
But let the emotions catch up. Don't let your life be ruled by your emotions. Let your life be ruled by truth and by values. Make the decision based on truth. The emotions will catch up. For some of you, it might take 10 years for the emotions to catch up with that decision. But every day you keep coming around to that decision. Every day you keep true to that decision. And the emotions will get with the program eventually. You just don't pick the scab off. Let the wound heal. Make the decision. And don't let your emotions lead you. See, when you make the decision to forgive, you might go and have to talk to the person about it. If they've done something against you, actually maybe you just need to talk it through with them and get it out in the open. Maybe you need to challenge them about their behavior. And there is a time and a place to do that. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. So there is a moment where that's the right thing to do. That's a moment of reconciliation and relationships can go much deeper after that kind of honest chat has happened. Usually there's two sides to every story. And by giving the opportunity for them to speak as well, you might need to change some things too. So there's a time to talk, but also there's a time sometimes not to talk. There's a time just to actually, you know, I'm just going to keep this to myself. Sometimes you shouldn't. Sometimes you just got to get over it. Some people come to me sometimes and say, Pastor, I just want you to know I've forgiven you. All right. I don't know whether to say thanks or not. <laughs> Sometimes it's actually just better not saying anything. Sometimes you just got to go over things. Now, I guarantee you, I do hurt people. I don't intend to hurt people. But sometimes through lack of consideration of someone's feelings, I will hurt someone. But sometimes you've got to think the best of others. And I've got to do the same with other people and like you do. Sometimes you're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to swallow hard here. And I'm just going to let it go. It says in Proverbs 19 verse 11, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Do you know what? I'm just going to let it go. And here's the thing. Okay, if, if, you, if it's the right time you talk to someone, you go talk to them. If it's the right time where you just actually swallow hard and just let them go and say, I'm going to get over it. Then that's fine. But whatever you do, don't gossip. Either talk to them or just let it go before God. But don't talk about them. Don't undermine them publicly. Because you become a sinner then. God's so against gossiping. It undermines families. It undermines churches. It undermines other people. It's dishonoring to God. So don't go there. That doesn't solve anything. And fourthly, Treat them like they're forgiven. Luke 6, 27 to 28. I say to you here, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. That's tough advice. The word bless in the Greek language is the Greek words, eulogiti. I think. Which means to speak well of. It's the opposite of curse. A curse is when you pronounce something negative over someone. A blessing is when you speak well of them. And here Jesus says, bless those who curse you. So when someone's doing something to inflict harm on you, you've got to treat them like they're forgiven. You need to forgive them. They need to treat them like... Treat them like I don't mean that you're, you're kind of walking around being weird saying, they're nice people. 
they're not doing anything evil at all. They're morally upright. You know, you know, it's not like that. Okay, it's not you're lying about them. That's sinful, right? But what it does mean is this. It means you're not doing this. God, cast down fire in them. Take them out. Lightning bolt them, God. Make bad things happen. That's not what you're doing. What you're doing instead, you're saying, God, would you bless them? I forgive them. And I'm going to pray for them like they're my friend. God, even though they're still hurting me, I ask you to bless them. I ask you to get them over their bitterness. I ask you to bring them to a better place in their soul. I pray that you'd bring, make us into, bring us to a place of friendship. God, I pray you'd help them in their family. Help them in their workplace. Help them, you know, you're praying blessing on them. That will make you whole. Proverbs 17.9 says this. He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love. But he who repeats or harps on a matter separates even close friends. You ever had someone harp on about the matter that you thought was resolved? Husbands? That's <laughs> joking. It could apply to anyone really, couldn't it? Sometimes more often than not, though. And how many people realize that actually doesn't heal the wounds? You know? Okay, I'll forgive you then. Kind of a couple of days later. But you remember you did that. What does it do? It actually demotivates the person from changing. So just don't keep repeating the matter. Don't go on about it. Give them space to change. And you going on about the matter, constantly raising it, reminding them what they did, undermines the forgiveness you offered and undermines their ability to change. So don't keep repeating the matter. Now listen, when someone gets forgiven, it doesn't mean that you instantly trust them. You know? Okay, killer, come babysit my kids. You know, it's... You actually do need to sometimes not give them full trust. That would be naive. Also, forgiving them doesn't mean that you don't phone 999 and get them arrested. It doesn't mean you're naive or a walkover. But it does mean I release them. I'm not going to hold anything against them. I'm blessing them. But if they're committing a crime, you get them arrested. No problem. Listen to what God says. Jeremiah 31, 34. I forgive their iniquity. This is how God forgives. I forgive their iniquity. And their sin I will remember no more. What a promise. I mean, we get confused with that. We think, well, God, you're omniscient. You know everything. How can you forget things? It's not, just to be clear, it's not like God's walking around heaven thinking, I forgot a whole ton of stuff. <laughs> or, what, who, what, what did you do yesterday? You know, God's not like that, okay? If he was... He would cease to be omniscient. He would cease to be God. So what does it mean when he says, I will remember your sins no more? This is what it means. I will no longer interact with you in the basis of your sin. I will now interact with you in the basis of what Christ has done and how you have interacted with that. I will now interact with you in the basis of the cross rather than the basis of your sin. God cleanses and God forgives and God chooses to remember no more. And if we're going to be whole, if we're going to forgive people, we've got to be the same way. Some people have a misconception about God's forgiveness. They think God's forgiven me, but it's kind of like I'm on probation. He's still watching me. Waiting for me to trip up again. That's not how God does it. God forgives. And he forgives. And he forgives. And he forgives. The parable ends in a very interesting way. It ends negatively, actually. In verse 31, it says, When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. 
And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When the master, then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of the debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a heavy ending. See, what it tells me is this. In the final analysis, this servant, because of his lack of appreciation and his lack of grasp of the scale of the debt that had been cleared and his lack of gratitude in response to that, it had two negative effects in his life. It damaged his relationships with other human beings. And ultimately, it damaged the greatest relationship, his relationship with the king. And the debt that had been cleared, he still had to pay it. Wouldn't it be crazy that if someone had cleared your debt that you went on and had to pay it anyway? Wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't it be crazy, even more crazy, if the God of all creation so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and he died in our place on the cross and paid the price and removed all our sin? And made it possible for every human being alive to have an eternal life and a relationship with God. And yet people don't make the most of that. Wouldn't it be crazy if at the end of their life, having rejected Christ and his sacrifice for them, they went to eternal hell and paid the price themselves for their own sin. That insurmountable debt, they pay it themselves. Although it will never be paid because it's so big. That would be crazy. And yet that's a real possibility. In 1830, George Wilson killed a government employee while he was robbing a post office. He was arrested and he was sentenced to be hung. A couple of weeks before the hanging, the President of the United States at the time, Andrew Jackson, sent a pardon to Wilson in prison. The pardon arrived, but a strange thing happened. George Wilson refused the pardon. The officials didn't know what to do because no one had ever refused a pardon before. So it went all the way through the courts, all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And eventually, Chief Justice Marshall wrote his opinion. And he said this, A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. But if it is refused, then it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And he was. The servant in this parable asked for mercy and the mercy that he was looking for was all available. He refused to show mercy to another human being, demonstrating that he hadn't fully appreciated the mercy that had been shown him. Listen, Jesus answers Peter's question, how often should I forgive my brother? He answers it with the biggest answer ever. Look at how God's forgiven you. So people, let's appreciate God's forgiveness. Let it grip you so deeply in your soul that you live grateful for the rest of your life. And let it result in, let it have a whole huge impact on the way you interact with other human beings. Let that impact the way you forgive. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much, God, for your incredible love. That love which was willing to personally pay the price for our forgiveness and for our salvation. Thank you, God, because that's not just a religious thought, that's a real truth. 
that you actually did that 2,000 years ago on the cross. You died as one person on behalf of all peoples. You died, Lord Jesus, as the righteous one on behalf of the sinful world. You took our sin and you wiped away the debt. And we say, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So this is what I want us to do. Just while we're all praying. I want you to just take a moment as the musicians play. Just to consider what God has done for you. Just take a moment to consider what Jesus did on the cross. The huge forgiveness that he's made available to you. So you can be forgiven for past, present and future sins. You get off scot-free. Because he took the price for you. Take a moment to consider that. Really consider it. Let it touch you deeply. And appreciate it. And take a moment to thank him for that. And worship him. cross and rose again and we thank you that that one act 2,000 years ago dealt with every sin every crime every injustice that has ever or will ever take place on planet earth such was the scale of your forgiveness and we want to thank you for your incredible grace that means that we can be saved. Okay, just take a moment just to continue to pray now. And I want you just just take a moment to think, and I believe God's by his Holy Spirit will just bring people to your mind. Who are the people who you are refusing to forgive? Who you're really having difficulty to forgive? That you've got such bitterness towards them. And it's eating you up. And you know you don't, they don't deserve to be forgiven, but neither did you. Take a moment before God just to let those people come to your mind. And by his spirit, he's doing that just now. And I want you to ask God for his help to help you to forgive them. pray a prayer for all of us and I invite you all to pray this prayer just under your breath pray this in the silence of your heart this is a prayer where we're going to forgive those people make a decision just now to forgive those people so just go with me in this prayer pray dear God right now I make a decision to forgive I forgive now you put their names in there you name the person or people name them before God 
I forgive these people, God. I choose to do that. Now, God, I ask you to help me with these bitter emotions that keep welling up inside me. Help those memories to become distant memories and to stop affecting me like they do. I release the person. I ask for your blessing upon them. And I will not anymore allow them to touch my soul. In Jesus' name. praying I'm going to give you an opportunity here while everyone else is praying maybe there's some people here and you've never fully accepted Jesus Christ just like that servant fell before the king and pleaded for mercy have you ever come to God and really I mean really committed yourself to him and accepted what he did for you on the cross so why not now why not just now make that decision? You can't earn his salvation. All you can do is accept what he's already done for you. So why not right now come to him and allow him to be the Lord of your life? If that's you tonight, then I'm going to pray and I invite you just to pray this prayer with me and let this be the cry of your heart to God. Just silently under your breath, just pray this prayer after me. Pray, dear Lord God, Thank you so much for your amazing love for me. Thank you in your love, you were willing to pay the ultimate price on the cross so that I could be forgiven, that my sin debt could be removed. Tonight, I ask you for that forgiveness and I fully accept, fully accept that forgiveness. Thank you so much. Jesus, I believe you rose again. I believe you're alive now. And I ask that you would be the Lord of my life. You'd be my king. And my life would be yours from here on. I commit myself to being your follower, Jesus, for the rest of my days. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for accepting me tonight as your child. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, God heard your prayer. If you prayed that prayer and asked his forgiveness, the Bible promises that as we confess our sins, he will cleanse us from all sin. The Bible promises as you put your faith in Jesus, that he gives you eternal life. God has just cleansed the biggest debt from your life and he has just embraced you as his child if you've prayed that prayer and made that commitment to him. I'd like the privilege of praying for you. If you're here and you prayed that prayer, I'd like to pray for you. Just wherever you are, with everyone's been praying just, and their eyes are closed, just, could you just identify yourself to me by just raising your hand real quick? Thank you. Put your hands up. Wherever you are, if you prayed that prayer, raise your hands. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? You prayed that prayer. Before I pray, is there anyone else? 
Okay, God, thank you. God, you see these hands. And you saw those who didn't put their hands up, but they still prayed that prayer. And you heard their prayer, Father. And God, I pray right now that they would know the weight of sin lifted off their shoulders. I pray they would know in this instant the forgiveness of God, the acceptance of God. And I pray that would impact not just their joy, that would impact their entire life and the way they interact with others from this day forward. Bless them, God. Help them, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to worship. At the end of the service, there'll be a team of leaders available at the front and we'll be here to pray with you. It might be that if you put your hand up there, you need to know God heard your prayer. We'd love the chance to pray with you again. We've got a little booklet we'd like to give you. And if you come forwards, for those who prayed that prayer, let us know you prayed that prayer. And we've got a little booklet we'd like to give you. We shall encourage you in that journey, walking with God. Others here, maybe you're sick and you need healing. God is here to heal. Maybe you need to be filled with this Holy Spirit. I believe God's going to do that tonight. And maybe you, you need help to forgive someone. And you just want someone to pray with you for that then there'll be a team of people here to pray for that as well. Let's worship God. Hi, I hope that today's message has helped you. If you want to find out more about us as a church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback, or make a contribution to our ongoing work and mission here in Edinburgh, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work that he is doing in your life.